0: On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people just like you and me who've had to overcome incredible odds to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow Be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Hey, everybody. Glad to have you here for another Second Shot Sit-Down. And we're taking a a second shot, a second look, a second take at giving and finances and and what it means to give and sort of some of the things we might want to think about when we're looking at giving and being generous and just the whole process that goes into that. So our guest today is Michael Fay. He's the president and co-founder of Give Directly. And this is fun because he's joining us from the Dominican Republic. Hey, Michael, good to see you. Good to see you. And thanks for having me. So what are you doing in the Dominican?
1: Oh, I came here for vacation and got stuck here, uh, not because I have Omicron, but everything else seems to be shut down. So
0: oh, that's
1: what I'm here for.
0: My goodness, how long has it been?
1: Uh, three weeks, which I'm not complaining about. I should leave uh, next week.
0: Oh, my, but this is just the world we're in. This is just, it's like, you think about it. My husband and I went to France and we thought, I hope we don't get stuck here. If we stuck here, it's a good place to be stuck, but I hope we don't get stuck there. Just yes, because of all the things. So let's talk about Yeah, there
1: are worse places to be in the Dominican Republic.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about Give Directly. I want to you you know have you explain it in your own words and 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 what it, who, what you guys do and who you serve.
1: Yeah, Give Directly is a charity. It lets people do exactly that. Give directly to those in extreme poverty or need. And it's really a new model of philanthropy. Historically, Donors got to decide what the recipient needed. They would make the choice. Is it a school uniform, a cow, a goat? What am I going to actually send this person? And Give Directly really flips that and says, why don't we let the recipient decide? Because who knows their needs better than them?
0: Mm, it is true. And do you think part of that is because we want to feel good about ourselves by saying, I bought this backpack?
1: Yeah, look, like goats, cows, they're 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 cute and it also gives us a sense of control we know better uh, we're going to decide what the recipient needs uh, but as it turns out we're not very good at picking for gifts for people three thousand, four thousand 4000 miles away to so just think about how hard it was to buy gifts for your family this holiday season and now imagine doing that for millions of people living in a different continent
0: oh my gosh Michael we talked about that so much during during yeah during the gifting season with family members and also with teachers it was like teachers said we don't really want these mugs y'all keep getting us or you know these candles so yes I can imagine just that's that super small you know micro version but this what you're talking about is us feeling like okay we have a heart for generosity but really have no clue how to relate to people or what they might actually you know what might be essential for them
1: no it's exactly right there's so many stories that make this point I remember meeting a woman Uh, and there was an NGO that had come to their school and distributed school uniforms. And she said, they lined us up, and I happened to be at the back of the line. And by the time I reached into this big burlap sack to pull out a uniform, all that was left was double XL. And my daughter is really small, so it didn't fit. And now every day, she has the embarrassment of wearing a double XL uniform to school said, why didn't they just give me a few dollars? I could have gone to the local seamstress and had them made a perfect uniform for my daughter. Um, And that's just one of many examples of what the difference is when we choose, first letting the recipients choose for themselves.
0: Right, so so on a local level, there may be, you know, an angel tree or something like that, and they give you a specific list and you go and get it, and you include a gift receipt. Uh, That becomes much more challenging when you want to help people across the world.
1: That's right. And that old way of doing things also is very costly. It's not just that we often get the decision wrong, but it takes a lot. So if we were to buy a cow or food aid in the US and then ship it over, that's really costly, right? It's often cheaper to buy it locally. And it's also good for the economy because it lets people buy from their local farmers, their local markets uh, as opposed to somewhere else.
0: So you and your background, you went and got a PhD in economics at Harvard. you studied math. You studied classics. What did you think that you were going to do after school?
1: <laughs> oh gosh, it depends what year we're talking about. Uh, there are so many things. I, I was a math and classics major. I uh, I decided to go to Ecuador uh, in the middle of college to teach English uh, as part of a program called World Teach, and it was a year that saw Ecuador dollarize and a lot of extreme poverty. Uh, and when I came back to school, I thought. How am I actually going to use these skills uh, to do something meaningful in the world and meaningful at a global scale? Uh, And got into economics and specifically development economics, uh, which is the study of extreme poverty. Now, fast forward a few years, I did the PhD at what turned out to be a very fortunate time. because development economists started to actually study what worked and didn't work in poverty alleviation in a robust way. And specifically what they were doing is they were applying something called an A-B test or a randomized trial. It's the same thing being used to test various drugs uh-huh. to different poverty programs. And what we learned was that a lot of what we were doing didn't work as well as we would have liked. And this very simpler idea of simply giving people money to make them less poor worked remarkably well. And that's, uh, that was the beginning of GiveDirectly.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, and I think I, I would wonder if you know what? Can I ask you a big favor for our TV viewers? You're probably yeah. seeing me on a screen we you're probably seeing both of us on a screen. Is there a little dot or a little hole that's like a camera at the top of your computer? That
1: yes, look there.
0: Yes, yes look there. Yes, perfect. Exactly. I'm going to look sorry. into your eyes in the Dominican. Um, you know, when you talk about. Is there about- a way to
1: keep you on the screen? By the way, just because I'm looking at myself for some reason every time I'm talking. Oh, as opposed to you,
0: you know, I don't know that might be a setting on your end. Oh, oh, they say no. They say no. Just keep looking at you, no. Michael. You look great. Okay, just enjoy the Dominican <laughs> view. And so I want to go back to that topic about giving people money actually brought them out of poverty. I think there's a lot of people that would argue against that and say, well, then that doesn't teach them how to, I mean, there's, you know, all the arguments that doesn't teach them how to work. It doesn't teach them how to sort of like fend for themselves or create a business or create a skill or learn a skill. What would you say to those people?
1: Yeah, there's that old expression, isn't there? Uh, Give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Uh, and I think it's really compelling at a first order, but when you start to break that down, uh, you realize where it falls short. So the first assumption is that we are good at teaching people to fish. Uh, and as it turns out, if you look at the literature on training programs, we're not particularly good at teaching some of these skills. the second is that this person wants to be a fisherman in the in the first place, a lot of people don't want fish. They wanna do something else or they have some other skill And the third is that they can actually afford a fishing rod over time if we train someone, but they can't buy the capital to do what they want to do. What's the point? And that's where it's a nice aphorism, uh, but it often falls short when you actually look at the evidence.
0: Uh, So it may it may make more sense if you were, I mean, I don't know, in a privileged family and you're trying to make sure that your child get some skills instead of just having everything handed to them that that fish example may make sense or the the fishing example if i'm understanding correctly what you're saying is for for people that are experiencing extreme poverty giving them a you know teaching them a skill that they may not necessarily even be inclined to do or to have or might not make sense for their skills doesn't work
1: in a lot of cases we see it doesn't work on average uh, and, and don't forget what the cash does the cash allows people to invest poverty is a lack of resources people can't even start to think about investing in their future when they don't have the resources for today and what we see is a lot of people do exactly that whether they buy a cow which will produce milk that could be sold or whether they plant eucalyptus trees to be sold uh, as we've seen in many cases cases or buy a motorbike to start a motorbike business or to send their kids to school which is what a lot of people do especially secondary school uh, which is one of the better investments that folks can make so this is not to say that education doesn't matter but but with the capital people can actually pursue the type and form of education that's most relevant to them
0: mm. and you're assuming the good in people when you do it
1: you're assuming that you're trusting people. Uh,
0: And you don't
1: need to go on faith alone. You can actually look at the evidence, and this comes back to the PhD, is cash transfers have been evaluated more than any other development intervention at this point. And it begs the question of why have we evaluated it so often? And I think it starts from a place of we don't trust people. We don't trust, wait, so if I just give money, they're going to do good things with the money. And it turns out time and time again we find that's exactly what they do and the things that we might fear spending it on alcohol, stopping work, uh, spending it on drugs, other vices, uh, you don't see in the data.
0: And is that talking about in the United States or internationally or everywhere?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So most of the evidence comes from abroad and the reason for that is simply that a dollar goes further so people are able to run larger experiments, so most of the experiments that we've seen are from abroad, but certainly not exclusively, and the actual longest cash transfer research project came from the U.S. It looked at something called the Mother's Pension Program from the 1920s and said what happened 50 years later, not to those mothers, but actually to their children, and what they found was that children of mothers that received cash lived longer, had higher income, uh, and so forth, which is just remarkable, 50 years later.
0: And is there a breaking point? Is there a is there a study out there that shows you give this much for this long, then taper it, then stop it, or continue it? What does that look like? Because you know everyone wants oh to give, Michael, and then they want to stop.
1: That's that's it, it's a very deep uh, question of what is the perfect way of giving. Uh, so th- let me say two things. One is there are many types of cash program. There's no one size fits all. Uh, we've seen cash programs that give a big lump sum to let people invest once we've seen programs that give people enough just to get over the poverty line but over a long period of time 10 12 years even Um, so you have to look at the specific context but the profound question in what you asked is what is best right how do we know what best is and who even gets to decide what best is do i get to say the family that spent it on education did better than the family that fed their newborn, mm. or should we actually leave that decision to the recipient themselves?
0: Yeah, and so then, so then we're back to the trust thing, and back to the uh, you know believing in people thing, which gets a little bit more ethereal. But it sh- it seems that you have some of the evidence to to back up the trust factor, which is interesting. I want to talk about this idea that that extreme poverty lies in the arena of about a dollar ninety a day. Um, so, so for people in the US who haven't delved deep into this topic like you have, that's almost seems so abstract and so unbelievable. Can you explain what that looks like and how we could help the $1.90 a day people?
1: Yeah, $1.90 a day is shockingly small yeah. and it does not buy you a lot. It gets you over the basic needs, food, some shelter, clothing, uh, the absolute basic needs, To put that into specific context, $1.90, it's called PPP, it's wonky. In most countries we work, it'll be a bit less than $1.90. People aren't starting at zero, right? So people might be starting at 50, 60 cents. So what that essentially means is that for a dollar a day that you give to another human being, you can take them over the poverty line and allow them to meet their most basic needs. Now, that is not a lot of money. Each of us has it within our power to go ahead and take one person over the poverty line uh, $30 a month, uh, $360 a year. Um, so not a terrible amount of money for one person. And I think the even more compelling piece is what, what this looks like at a global scale. So there's something called the poverty gap, which is an arithmetic exercise to answer the question of what would it take to get everybody over the poverty line? And there are a lot of caveats and nuance that I won't go through. But what if you added up what it took to get every human being over the poverty line? That number, Brookings reports, is ninety-five billion dollars. That is point one percent of global GDP. And what is, that means is that if you have, go ahead.
0: Well, I was wondering, is that for like a year's period, or would it just would 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 that infusion happen, and then we would all be uplifted and things would get better.
1: Both so that that's for a years period, but giving 0.1% each year is not a lot of money. We can save the other 99.9% for vaccine discovery. Uh roads,
0: as well as Michael, your your signal cut out just during that sentence. And I think that was a really important sentence. You just said you're back now. So so go ahead and say it again.
1: So 0.1% is not a lot of money. It leaves plenty of money to spend on other important things like vaccine discovery, um, public infrastructure, schools, hospitals, and so on, and private consumption. Uh, And at the same time, by giving that 0.1% each year, we would expect some people to graduate from poverty. So that number should be going down over time. And a lot of Americans, you ask, do you think we're giving too much philanthropically? And they'll say, yes. They'll say, well, how much do you think we're giving? They'll say 10%. We're not giving anywhere near 10%, and we don't even need 10% to end po- global poverty. We're talking in the 0.1% range. So that means that if I make $100,000, all I need to donate is $100. It, well, and,
0: which it's a is solvable crazy problem, and it's
1: something we can do.
0: When we think about it, there's certainly there's, I would say most people that make $100,000 are donating. I mean, I gosh, I would hope people are donating at least $100 a year. Is the problem that the money's, is it, where is it going? What's, what's happening? You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking of all the different donations that are made.
1: Well, that was one of the questions that motivated us founding GiveDirectly. Where is the money going? And it's actually one of the hardest questions to answer in the, in the charity space, which is if I give a dollar, track that dollar from beginning to end and tell me where it went and how much wound up on the other side. And there are a number of reasons from the way we do accounting for nonprofits to the fact that if one nonprofit gives to another, gives to another, it's very hard to follow it. But it's a near impossible question to answer uh, in most cases. Now in Give Directly's case, we can tell you exactly who got the money and how much of it they actually got. Uh, on average, we get about 85 to 90% of the donated dollar into the hands of the recipient after all the other expenses, salaries, offices, foreign exchange, payments fees, the full works, Uh, we're getting about 85 to 90% into that final recipient's hands.
0: So we're here in Dallas where charity events and fundraising is such a, it's such a part of the fabric of the lifestyle here and going to a gala and raising money for this or that. Now, some some for for poverty here and internationally and some for other events. But I can't help but wonder when you start to get us thinking about this topic if we're just spending a much of money on ball gowns and events and fancy dinners and and we're not making a dent in anything but our social lives.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's hard to judge. I think nonprofits do need to spend money Uh, to raise money. I think that that is part of it. And if you can spend a dollar to raise $100 for a good cause, I think that's a great use of a dollar. But you need to be thoughtful and you need to ask, what is the return on that dollar invested? So if I spend whatever it is on the gala, how much am I actually raising? And then the second part of the question is, did I send what I raised to an effective cause? Um, Do I know where the money is going? Can I tell you? has there been one of these robust evaluations on the intervention? And how much of a voice am I giving to the recipients in what I'm doing uh, or am I making all of the decision?
0: Mm. That is, so it's like we have to take the ego out of it and thinking that just because we have something or have money to give that somehow we have that because we were smarter or more you know, intellectually capable or was it just that we were born in the United States and so we have a dollar to give. Um, so that's, that's an interesting thing for people to think about. Now, when it comes to giving, is there any way for, is there sort of like a streamlined system for people to find out? I mean, I'm hearing you say with GiveDirectly, it's 85 to 90% of your dollar that it's actually going, and it's gonna be, it's money to the, to the people who need it. Is there any way for people to look into nonprofits when they are donating or maybe do sort of like an, a scan or an overhaul of where they're, you know, generosity goes to to find out if it's being used well to find out if the money is is spent for those who need it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I would recommend two things. One is go to the start at the nonprofit website uh, and see if they've presented some of the basic information, how much gets to the final recipient and have you done evaluations, and talk to the organization, which is often the best way to get this information. Um, and then there are many charity evaluators. Uh, that dig in and look at this evidence. Uh, the Life You Can Save, uh, which was Peter Singer's organization, uh, GiveWell, which is another organization uh, that rates some of the best charities in the world. So, so there are a number of places you can go for this information. Um, but I think the first step is actually doing that work. I forget the exact statistic, but something like 95% of people that donate have done zero research on the charity they give to. Uh, and that's something that I think we should we can do better on.
0: Mm-hmm how did you decide where the money? first of all where which which countries does the money go do the money does the money go to from give directly and then how did you decide that these were the places that were most in need
1: yeah so we work in 12 countries from we've actually done work in the U.S. uh, in Texas uh, for both the recent COVID relief program uh, and in response to uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, a few years back Uh, So places as diverse as Texas, uh, of course, uh, to Liberia, Malawi, uh, Kenya, Uganda, Morocco, and and so on. I think we're looking for people in the greatest need. Uh, And we also want to give donors some flexibility. We understand that some people prefer to give locally, uh, and we want them to give locally in the most effective and empowering way that they can. Uh, And some people want to give to a country that they either have a special connection to or they're just looking for the poorest people in the world
0: do you think that people have a hesitancy to give straight up cold hard cash as opposed to purchasing a pair of shoes or purchasing a backpack or a notebook because they do wonder like who's the money going to is it is it going to the people i need it to go to do you think there's there?
1: yeah a hundred percent i think we'd be hard-pressed to find something Uh, less compelling from the donor perspective than simply giving cash. It's just cold hard cash. How will I know what they use it for? Uh, It's not cute. I didn't really have control over what they used it for. And, And that's a bit of a challenge of cash is it does take us checking our ego and saying, you know what, I may not know what's best for someone living in a refugee settlement in Uganda because I don't know anything about life in a refugee settlement. And beyond that, I'm also going to respect the fact that everybody is different. Uh, I'll never forget, I I met three women that were almost the same age, almost the same situation. They each had two kids uh, living next to each other uh, years ago. Uh, And from all superficial lenses, you would have said they need the exact same thing. And it turned out they needed completely different things. One needed medicine. Obviously her husband was sick with a specific disease. One wanted to invest in a business uh, and the other spent it all on education. so let's let's respect people's differences and give them that choice uh, as opposed to making it for them.
0: So your philosophy is instead of saying, here, I'll take your, hold your hand and go buy the medicine for you. Here's the money, you get the medicine from the place you think is the best, from the where you have the relationship, that sort of thing.
1: That, that's right. And it, it's important to remember when you're on the brink of starvation and extreme poverty, you have to be resourceful. And even when we think we have control, that's often just an illusion. Uh, THERE'S A STAT THAT CAME OUT OF SYRIA A LOT OF FOOD AID Uh, AND OVER 70% OF THAT FOOD AID
0: YOU FROZE UP FOR JUST A SECOND, ABOUT 70% OF THE FOOD AID FROM I THINK YOU SAID SYRIA? SORRY. THAT'S OKAY, YOU'RE GOOD.
1: YEAH, SORRY, INBOUND CALLS SEEM TO HAVE BLOCKED IT. 70% OF THE FOOD AID THAT WE SENT TO SYRIA WAS SOLD BY SYRIANS TO BUY WHAT THEY NEEDED. Um, and oh. I'll, I'll tell you another quick story actually one from pakistan which makes the point uh, even more poignantly uh, it was a program to give vouchers to buy goats so the way vouchers work is people get a voucher and they can go to a local store and get the goat uh, and the inspiration for the project was that if we give people goats the goats have babies the babies can be sold the goats also produce milk so there are many benefits of goats uh, and this particular donor wanted to give goats so the program was evaluated and they sent an evaluator to look and it looked like it was working wonderfully people would come to the shop with their voucher they'd give their voucher they'd get a goat voucher goat uh-huh. voucher goat and at some point the evaluator said all these goats look so similar what's happening and they went around the back and they realized that there was only one goat in the village that was being resold over and over and over again oh. so Everybody would come with their voucher. They'd get their goat and they'd just sell it back to the shopkeeper, and they would go again and again. So we spent all this effort to give goats, and all we did was give cash, but very ineffectively.
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, I can appreciate. it. I can appreciate it. I'm just. I, I think that you, for everybody listening right now to this full thing and watching this full thing, allow yourself to open up your mind to these different perspectives. And I, I find this conversation so interesting give directly sounds like a massive undertaking. Do you work outside of this or is this your sole career focus?
1: Yeah, so I've spent the last 15 years or so trying to get money to the people and places that need it the most. Uh, three organizations, give directly is philanthropic, uh, another called Segovia, which did this for businesses. Uh, and most recently, an organization called Tap Tap Send, which lets people send remittances to their families, friends, and loved ones at home uh, at the most cost-effective prices. And it's the same philosophy of let's help people get money to those that need it most in the places that need it most.
0: So let's talk about, we were talking about, you know, where the money goes with a nonprofit. And I've always, I guess this is something that I think about. And I think if I'm wondering, other people are wondering too, there was um, years ago, such an uproar about the salaries of some nonprofit leaders in the United States. I don't know if it was like Goodwill or Salvation Army. one of them. I don't want to call out an exact because I don't know which one it was, and they were so upset because the people <laughs> who were running yeah, these organizations were making so much money. But then the other argument was, well, you have to have the, the people with the brain power and the skills and the, the knowledge of the situation to run the group in order to raise the money, sort of like what we talked about earlier. If you can spend a dollar to make a hundred, then it makes sense. How do you find that right line for for a salary for somebody like you who runs a nonprofit?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's always. Um, and I should say, I didn't take a salary for ten out of the eleven years or something. So I'm not how, sure. How I'm the did best you do that?
0: What, how did you live? I'm not sure I'm
1: the best example of what to do. Uh, I, I had been out working at Segovia at the time and uh, basically lived off of that. So um, and we all started as volunteers. All of the founders started as volunteers. We were living on grad school stipends at the time
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and using those stipends and spending a lot of time on this. But don't 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 use me as the example. I, I think it's a measurement question. Right? If I know what I'm investing and what I'm getting from that investment, whether it's on a specific decision or a person, uh, it should be an easy decision, right? I might spend more, but if that allows me to get more money to those in poverty, that's a great investment and we're gonna make it every time. But you have to measure things. Uh, and that's at the core of everything you do. You have to me- measure what you do. You have to rigorously measure it. And then the investment decisions become a whole lot easier.
0: With, with regard the investment being how to pay the people that run the nonprofit?
1: That, that's right. If, if I need to pay a little bit more for um, really great talent, and we do try to go out and get the best talent, uh, but that talent is more effective at running operations and getting money to the recipients. If they're more effective at spreading the word and getting people to give more effectively and more thoughtfully, uh, then that's money well spent
0: how big is your team this sounds like when you think about something worldwide it's like wow this must be massive but how many how many people are working on this you know on the that, that are aside from volunteers how many people are are paid and this is their profession to be working for gift directly
1: yeah so we're at about 750 people at the moment globally that's across 12 countries uh, and one of the things i'm proud of is we have 750 exceptional people and we are still at a full organizational efficiency of 85, 90%. And that other 10%, and this is an important point, is not overhead in the way other charities measure it, that is all of our costs. So every part of cost it takes us to deliver money and to raise money is in that number.
0: Well, so I'm wondering if it just makes you more efficient because you are just giving the money, you're not paying the person to hand out the voucher for the goat.
1: It certainly helps that helps the fact that we can do a lot of this digitally uh, we haven't talked about this but a lot of this is actually going to people's mobile phone so I can send transfers from my computer a- and we've even started to target and identify who's in poverty remotely uh, just using digital tools which also help bring costs down
0: do you ever run into people thinking that it's a scam when you're trying to give them money digitally everybody yeah that's what <laughs> uh, I would think like well, I'm not taking this Michael yeah How do you it's not convince? just digitally
1: if I Uh, it's it's one of the hardest things we do and communication is key but if i knocked on your door even if i was in person and said good news i've got thirty thousand dollars uh for you uh which uh is obviously we're not giving that much in africa but it is equivalent consumption wise uh, you would think it was a scam and a lot of people do think it's a scam uh look you you spend a lot of time with folks you put them in touch with other villages and other people that have received money Uh, you have the people that they trust in their networks, whether it's the village elder, local leaders, uh, explain to them what the program is. Uh, And and then as they see others getting, uh, folks usually come along, but there are certainly places that we haven't been able to work because people thought it was a scam.
0: Yeah, I just can see, I can totally picture that that would be the hurdle, but it sounds like you're figuring it out and you're you're getting the money where it needs to go internationally. And I also want to talk about before we wrap up here, the Guaranteed Income Initiative here in the U.S., how, how, how that's expanding and how you're connected to that?
1: Yeah, so we started to do more work in the U.S., first for hurricanes, um, and then the COVID disaster, obviously, so many people lost work, uh, so we did a pretty massive campaign across the U.S. Uh, to help fund people that were affected by COVID. Uh, that's extending now. We're working in Atlanta, specifically, uh, and giving people uh, money over time to meet their basic needs. Uh, basic income is just another form of cash program. It's different in the sense that it's basic, so it's not a lot of money to invest. It's just enough to meet your basic needs, uh, and it's over time, uh, so it's over a few years uh, as opposed to all at once.
0: And then, and then the idea is again. I feel like the question you're probably sick of hearing. This question is like, well, what happens when the when the money's done? How you know. are are they, are they ready to, you know, live without the money or do you extend it? Or how does that work at the end of that sort of term?
1: Yeah. So there there are a number of projects like the mother's pension program. I mentioned that show long-term impacts well after the money is done 50 years. Uh, And that is certainly what we would all hope. And there are many examples of projects that have been evaluated with that long-term hope. But the thing that I don't want to lose is that lowers that point one percent that we talked about right mm-hmm. even if nothing even if people didn't graduate this is well within our means and then we know from the evidence that some people are not graduating so it's just going to be cheaper and cheaper for us over time
0: how could we solve I mean do you have a solution right now right here right now to solve poverty let's just look at just America how, how could we do that
1: Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure we're going to solve poverty in the next uh, minute in America. We've got 90 and, and the seconds, US, I should say.
0: Michael. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: the, the U.S. is more complicated, okay. right? The, the, the causes in, uh, of poverty in the U.S. Um, are, are complicated, <laughs> and, and we should not gloss over that. I, I think in much of the world, uh, you are poor simply because you were born uh, in Eastern Europe. Democratic Republic of Congo and the second piece is that the poverty line, the extreme poverty line is so low uh, in, in the rest of the world, right? So the U.S. poverty line as we define it is about $1,000 a month. Uh, globally, we talked about $1.90 per day for extreme poverty. Uh, so I think it, 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 a dollar does go further. That doesn't mean we shouldn't help people locally, but it is something to consider.
0: That's interesting but but it really is it's that point 0.1 percent from the u.s to everybody else in the world that would lift them up
1: that's right uh, and even if you're gonna have cost of delivery and things it comes 0.2, 0.3, just to give people a sense of the order of magnitude poverty is a solvable problem globally we have 95 trillion dollars of global gdp to work with there is no reason people can't afford to eat
0: mm. Michael Fay, you are a very interesting person. I, the the time flew by. I really love chatting with you. Thank you for making the time from the Dominican Republic. If uh, if people want to learn more about you and what you do and what this nonprofit does, tell them the best place to to find it.
1: Yeah, GiveDirectly.org, uh, and I would uh, I would go to Live.GiveDirectly.org, which actually lets the recipients tell the stories themselves. Those are unedited live stories from the recipients and read through just to get a sense of what people are doing with the money and how different they are and how much we can actually start trusting one another
0: Michael thank you so much for the conversation I uh, this you know what listen the beauty of technology you're you're giving funds through technology we're able to chat with you via Skype from the Dominican Republic thank you for educating us I learned a lot today and and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation thank you so much
1: thanks so much hey take care
0: Hey, you guys, don't forget Second Shot Podcast comes out every Thursday. Also on CW33TV, we highlight these Second Shots as a way to bring some positivity, some inspiration, and just something to think about to your regular media that you see on TV. It's just a big part of my heart and my passion, and I thank you all so much for being a part of it. You can find out more at CW33.com slash SecondShot or SecondShotPodcast.com. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.